It's Tuesday, June 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today from the Great White North, the one and only Jim Gillies. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be seen, Chris. Thank you. It's a little bit of the, the great humid north right now. It's uh, kind of uncomfortable right now where I am. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, yeah, just you know. selfishly, I'm I'm glad I'm not in the same with you, same room with you, watching you sweat. So yeah. there's that. Um, we've got some restaurant news. We've got some fintech news, but we're going to start with big tech. Uh, Google is going to see a drop in its U.S. advertising revenue of more than five percent this year. That is, according to a report by eMarketer, which is a research firm that's been tracking Google's ad business since 2008. Um, This was a pretty interesting report, um, and and we'll get to some of the ripple effects for other players in the advertising space, but, um, you know, that's that's pretty noteworthy that this is the first time since they've been tracking it that Google's going to see a drop in ad revenue. Well, I mean, the first the first question I had, Chris, is, um, and I don't know the answer, so I'm not trying to be difficult, um, but what is eMarketer's history? Because, of course, you know, we, uh, you know, in, in the investment world, we always have all kinds of forecasts and predictions. And we also know that people in general are bad at forecasts and predictions. Uh, so I am curious to know what eMarketer's history of accurately portraying Google's ad revenue is, how accurate they've been, um, you know, and, and, and because, yes, they, they are predicting a, a negative 5.3% growth, not really growth, uh, but, you know, uh, coming on the backs of the last two years being uh, just over 17% and almost 15% up. So they're calling for a, a minus five and change this year down to, you know, only about $40 billion, just shy of $40 billion. I mean, I put the air quotes around only, um, but they are, they are then foreseeing um, a near 21% rebound next year and then a near 12 percent increase the year after so i think if you were to look at that whole five-year period that is a pretty healthy compound annual growth rate i haven't done the math but but you know i think that's still pretty healthy for uh, a company of the size and scale of google or alphabet i suppose we should use the proper uh, the proper terminology for the company um but so i i'm I'm curious about the the accuracy of of how eMarketer has done uh, but then the other thing here that I found very interesting is uh, it's the the types of companies that uh, advertise on Google versus, say, Facebook or Amazon. And when you realize that disproportionately it is travel companies, so, uh, you, know, air, uh, you know, book your next holiday companies, um, they're advertising on Google. I think it becomes uh, into clearer focus why they are forecasting a five plus percent downdraft this year is because how much travel are you doing chris not a lot of travel jim <laughs> no exactly you know i i i went to the backyard yesterday um you know and, and there's a tim hortons down the street to get my coffee and that is pretty much the extent of my travel most days nowadays um so so i do i i, I think uh, you know with a lot of the companies uh, uh, the cruise lines being the obvious one but uh, perhaps less obvious just uh, just in general hotels airbnb of course has been suffering even as as uh, countries around the world are starting to tentatively reopen there are still a lot going on 
Um, and you know, the travel companies themselves, I mean, are needing to save money. I mean, when, if you're an airline and you're blowing through 40, $50 million a day, um, you're probably cutting back your advertising budget a little bit right now. Uh, so, so I don't think it's necessarily a surprise when they forecast. I think it's probably a decent forecast based on this. Um, but, uh, I, again, the, 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 thing that leapt out to me was if you have a long-term perspective, which of course is something that we really advocate here at the Motley Fool, but for the long-term shareholder, the long-term trajectory still looks pretty good to me, even if they are correct of a negative five plus percent downdraft this year. So a, a couple of responses. First, in terms of eMarketer, uh, I'm sure that uh, any number of people at Google, Facebook, and Amazon would quibble with past forecasts. My general sense of eMarketer is that they have a, a good reputation. They've been mm -hmm. around a long time. So just for the sake of the rest of this discussion, let's just assume that they're pretty they're good They're reasonably at good. Yeah. They, they, they have a good idea. What leapt out to me, and, and second, you're absolutely right in terms of the long-term perspective, because while the headline is, they're predicting this drop in revenue. You go beneath the headline, 21 and 2022 are looking a lot better, not just better yes. in response to this drop, but just better in general. But the thing that stood out to me was uh, the loss of market share. The fact that in this same year, even factoring in, as you said, they're get, Google is getting more of the travel advertising. You know, Expedia coming out a couple of months ago and saying we normally spend five billion on advertising. This year we're going to spend about one billion. You know, so that kind of drop is is going to obviously have an impact on Google. But eMarketer also predicting Facebook uh, ad revenue growth of about five percent this year, and Amazon keeping in mind it's off of a smaller base, but Amazon's growth of about twenty three percent. And just in the same way that we've talked on this show recently about Amazon stumbles earlier in the pandemic have opened the door for other retailers to try and um, present their e-commerce operations as an opportunity for new customers. I, I look at this report and I wonder if the people running the ad business at Facebook and Amazon are thinking in terms of not just, okay, we're going to grow this year and Google's going to drop, but further into the future, in 2021 and beyond, maybe we have an even greater opportunity to take back some of that travel business. Well, and that's, I was going to say, that is exactly, if I'm Facebook, maybe to a lesser extent Amazon, but certainly Facebook, uh, I would be targeting the travel area specifically because you you know that's the as eMarketer says that's the reason that Google or Alphabet is is struggling a little bit. I just wish they'd change the name back to Google and leave it at that. Um, but that that's the area that is being blamed for their loss of share. And look, they they've still got the the largest share. I won't say lion's share, but I think they're going from about 31, 32 percent this year uh, to just shy of 30 percent. Um, uh, but but Facebook's coming up hard, frankly. Uh, Facebook is at, uh, just below 23. Uh, they're going to be at, uh, over 23 this year. Uh, I I would if I'm fa if I'm Facebook, I'm deliberately going after the travel space, and you know because they've got how many users uh, worldwide? Two point something billion, uh, and people I think are really going to be. I mean I know I'm eager to to get back to some semblance of traveling. Um, 
and I think that'll be a really interesting growth area. And so it'll be interesting to see Facebook deliberately target that area and Google, not being stupid, uh, will work hard to defend that position. Um, so it is interesting. Uh, Amazon, you know, I think they're probably content to run third right now and focus on their business. They've they got something going, good going there. So, uh, you know, I don't think uh, digital advertising is that big of a deal for them. No, but when you're growing 23% in a given year, you know, you do that a couple of years in a row and it starts to become, if not a big deal, certainly a bigger deal. Yeah. Uh, they, I, I'm just saying that they've, they've got a couple businesses in front of the digital advertising space that are, that are, are moving the needle more. MasterCard in the news today because MasterCard is buying FinCity, which is a provider of real-time access to financial data and insights. Silly me, I assumed MasterCard also had real-time access to financial data <laughs> and insights. But you know what? Uh, when the price tag for FinCity is just a mere $825 million, how can you pass up an opportunity like that, right? Well, let's be optimistic and say that uh, Finicity owns gets their their earnout payments for for providing um, uh, strong results within Mastercard's empire. I mean, it's almost a billion. I mean, how what's the market cap of of Mastercard, Chris? Uh, I think it's somewhere three hundred billion, or, or it's probably more by now. Um, you know, so it's it, it's a small acquisition. It, it's it's a small tuck in, I suppose you could call it. Um, what I found really interesting is, is I, again, I, I mentioned move the needle earlier uh, with digital advertising and Amazon. I'm not sure how much the needle will be moved at MasterCard with this acquisition, um, because it is comparatively small, and you know, and, and so it's not it's not going to add much. But what I found fascinating was if you go and look at the the press release uh, from MasterCard announcing this deal. Um, they talk about it's not expected to be incrementally dilutive to the business for at least two plus years. And I'm used to companies talking about acquisitions being accretive, not dilutive. So that was odd to me. Um, but the other, it's, it's um, I'm going to call this the online dating profile of co corporate press releases because there's there's all of these testimonials you know bank of america comes this is a press release from mastercard by the way this is this is not somewhere else this is this is the official press release from the company making the acquisition they have a quote from bank of america talking about how great both Finicity and MasterCard are and how great they're going to be together. They've got a um, another quote from the president of investments at Rocket Mortgage. There's another one from a, some company called Brex. Uh, there's another one from the CEO of Experian North America. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this the dust jacket for a book that we're doing a <laughs> press tour? Like, why do you, why are you getting all of these external people singing your praises? I I don't think I've ever seen that before, and especially for an acquisition that's I think probably gonna at the end of the day probably not be much to to notice for for Mastercard the giant corporate entity. So um, it, it it was just it was it it provided a moment of levity for me this morning as I was reading the press release.
Uh, and for anyone listening who's wondering which one of the two of us is mispronouncing the name of this company, it's me, and I apologize for oh, that. Yeah. It is it is Finicity, not Fin City, as I uh, uh, announced when oh, I, sorry. Uh, I, I didn't even introduced that. the story. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I clearly I'm not looking close enough. Um, but but there what you know. You're right. MasterCard is a $310 billion company. They can afford this. They went through their sofa, they found some pocket change, and they went out and they <laughs> bought this company. But, but there is something to this that makes me wonder, um, not if there's something nefarious at play or, or some sort of conspiracy, but if, but if, in fact, this is one of those acquisitions that a huge company makes so that a competitor doesn't make it. So someone else doesn't. So it's like, look, we don't love this company. We think there's a one in three chance. It eventually does become accretive to our business, but we don't want Visa buying these guys, so we're going to buy them. Yep. Uh, I think that's a a good interpretation. Again, I... I'm used to acquisitions. Look, we all know acquisitions that are dilutive to companies, okay? But you usually don't say it in the press release. It usually just kind of happens because you screwed up on price. Um, this one, it's kind of like, yeah, it's not going to be dilutive until two more years. Okay, that's that's interesting. Thanks for telling us. We'll see how it goes. Uh, last week, it was Burger King. This week, it is Starbucks that is adding an impossible sausage breakfast sandwich to its menu in U.S. locations. Um, interesting to see how this announcement is not really moving the needle for Starbucks. It is having an impact on shares of Beyond Meat because uh, Impossible Foods is a competitor to Beyond Meat, and Beyond Meat shares down about 4%. Um, that's the stock reaction, but I think you and I both had the same reaction when we saw this headline. Well, I, I, I'm, I've got a bunch of thoughts about Starbucks. I mean, I'll start with I think where you're going here, Chris. Starbucks and food—they're still they trying. Gotten, <laughs> have they ever gotten it right? Like, look, if I want a a plastic wrapped sandwich that was made for me three months ago in a factory and reheated uh, so it's still cold in the middle and searing hot on the edges. I can get that at Starbucks. Um, I am not, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the food there. I, I'm a fan of the coffee and I'm a stockholder and I'm a fan of everybody getting the $7, you know, uh, drinks with, uh, you know, 700 calories in them. Um, but I, 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 I can already get the Beyond Meat uh, sausage um, breakfast sandwich here in Canada, um, so I, I I might try this one uh, just because I've actually never had an Impossible Burger or the Impossible. I've had I've had Beyond Meat and and generally, but you could you could get a A and W. You can get the uh, the uh, the Beyond Burger and the Beyond Breakfast Sausage. Tim Hortons here had uh, the Beyond Meat breakfast sausage uh, sandwich, and it was a colossal failure, and they discontinued it within about three months, I believe. Um, what's interesting to me as well associated with this is. This is again the the continued rollout of the plant-based meat movement. Um, uh, they recognize, uh, I think, everyone involved in uh, Impossible Beyond uh, Maple Leaf Foods here in Canada has uh, what what they call their light life offering, which is 
perfectly acceptable as well. I think they all realize there's nothing really that different about these things that is spectacular. Like, I mean, look, when, when you go have a breakfast sausage sandwich anywhere, that's just a regular breakfast sausage, you don't worry too much about who makes the sausage. You know, oh, I'm getting Schneider's Farms sausage at, at, at a mass-produced, um, you know, at a McDonald's or at a, at a you know, pick your, pick your favorite breakfast uh, joint. Um, so that's one thing that I find interesting is we're now having, you know, the branding wars, Beyond Meat, Impossible Burger, we're having branding wars with, with an ingredient that we never really thought much about when it was just plain old sausage, plain old meat. Um, and that's, I think, an attempt to upscale it, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure how well that's going to work, to be honest with you. Uh, because at the end of the day, if, if we are accepting of plant-based meats, and, and for whatever it's worth, I'm a fan, um, but they're not, they're not appreciably healthier than, uh, than traditional meat. Uh, you know, the, they're, they are very high fat, they are, um, uh, quite often, there's some sort of, they're very sausage-like in terms of, you know, which can be fine from time to time, but, you know, it's not exactly health food. Um, so I, I, I find it interesting that we're now trying to brand what's in our, our breakfast sandwiches. And I, ironically, I think the, the, the more success they have with getting people to accept plant-based meat, the less valuable the brands will become. Uh, and I, uh, I mentioned earlier that Maple Leaf Foods here in Canada has their Light Life product, which is a good burger. Uh, they also have a rather strange, and they have the breakfast sausage. Well, they have a very strange offering. They're now offering 50-50, so it's half beef and half, or half pork for sausage, and half plant-based protein, which is one of the otter products I've seen. I'm, I'm not too sure I, I like that too much. Um, but you know, we're, we're looking to, to reduce meat consumption, uh, for various reasons, health, environmental reasons, that sort of thing. Um, I, I'd probably try this once and then I, it, I imagine it will fit in with, uh, my, and I suspect your opinions about Starbucks and their food offerings. And that would be, um, nothing to write home about. And I probably will choose it as often as I choose their other breakfast sandwiches. I'm going to give this one a shot, just like uh, last year when uh, Dunkin' Donuts came out with their uh, breakfast sandwich, the, sort of the, uh, the Beyond breakfast sandwich, whatever it was called. And it, obviously, there was a partnership with Beyond Meat there. Um, I'll give this one a shot, see how it goes. Um, like you, my first reaction was, wow, they're still trying with the food. And you know what? I, that's good. I don't want them to just give up. Um, average ticket price is such an important metric for any retailer any restaurant and so if this can help i'm i'm all for it but given the overwhelming evidence uh over the past 20 years in terms of starbucks tra you know you, earlier in the show you're asking what is e-marketers track record when it comes to predicting <laughs> ad uh, spend forecasts let's just say it's better than starbucks track record when it comes to food products indeed and, and look i mean these Again, I, I'm a fan of the products in general, the, the concept of, of, of plant-based meat. Um, and I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm not sure anyone really has anything that's, you know, like, this is the secret sauce. Pardon the pun, I suppose. Um, but it's really a distribution story. And, you know, like Beyond Meat is now 
everywhere. They, they've, they've successfully, I think they've realized that, hey, our pro, RP protein in a canola-based matrix is probably close enough to everyone else's. So the, uh, the way we win this new, uh, this new battlefront is we, we outcompete people in terms of distribution, you know, deals for the various fast food joints, uh, deals with the various grocery stores. Uh, I was through Costco the other day, and for the first time I saw, you know, a, a Costco-sized package of, of Beyond Meat Burgers. I think it was eight for 20 bucks, which is a, a fair sight better than the, you know, the two for $8 that you see at most grocery stores. Um, you know, so I, I think it's it's about winning the distribution war and, and from that, and, and because it's the big two, of course, Starbucks and Impossible and Maple Leaf, I guess it doesn't third. Um, you know, it's about Starbucks being part of the next front. But like I said, they've already got beyond offerings, at least here. Um, now they're going to have Impossible. Like I mean, at some point, you're they're, they're, at some point they're probably just going to decide on one, you know, and whichever one tests better and however they choose. Uh, but it's 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 very interesting to me to see uh, this ongoing battle, and of course with Beyond Meat stock being as as uh, richly valued as they are, uh, you know, more th that's why you're seeing I think a little bit, you know, it's, oh Starbucks didn't pick us, well everyone else has, so I think you're okay. Jim Gillies, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.